Well, good morning again. You guys doing good? You're awake? You're excited to be in the house of the Lord? Is there, other, is there another place you'd rather be? Oh, man, even if football's on today, I do want to be there and I want to watch football, but there is even better than watching the 49ers win today. It's better to be in the house of the Lord. Yes, they're going to win. Yes, that's why I'm wearing it. Um, um, I'm prophesying. Yes, I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that or not, but I'm believing. How about that? Um, cheering them on. Um, Lots of good stuff going on. That's okay if you're not a 49ers fan. You will be one day. Um, I'll convert you. Um, But this morning, uh, man, it's so good. Uh, I get to watch the 49ers play. I get to be with you. There's so many good things. But um, we are, we've been on this since the beginning of the year. We've been talking about divine design for the year. And we've been looking at a verse. We've been looking at um, the story of Moses and getting the d- design for the tabernacle, and that are very specific, and we kind of talked a few Sundays about that. And um, this Sunday, I want to transition from looking at the tabernacle to looking at David building the temple. And it's very different. The divine design was very different in this circumstance and how it all played out. And we're going to open up and look at some of how that happened. But before we do, um, I want to do something else that's fun for me. And it, we haven't done it in a while. Definitely, it's not since last year. At least it's been since last year. Um, we haven't done this, but we are going to get some help to understand what I want to talk about today from a visual aid. And um, maybe, maybe I've quoted from this movie maybe once before, maybe once before. In fact, before we do it, who here, there was people last time I asked this, I think a year ago or so, who here has never seen The Princess Bride? Raise your hand if you've never seen the movie The Princess Bride. Oh my goodness. You're going to get converted. You're getting converted. You're, you're going to get a taste this morning. You're going to see that it is good, right? That scripture, oh, taste and see that it, the Lord is good, I know. But I'm going to tell you, oh, taste and see that Princess Bride is good. So because they've never seen it, i got to give you some context because we're jumping in the middle of the movie. And so what's going on is um, Vincini. You guys remember Vincini? He's the short one, like the three Lost Circus performers. Vincini, the short one. Then you have Inigo, who's the swordsman. He's got all the skill and the Spaniard, right? And then you have Fezzik, the big giant, Andre the giant. And these three are kind of, they're bad guys. They do, they do bad things, but they're kind of the, they're fun people in the character, in the, in the movie. And um, they have stolen the bride, the princess bride. They stole her, captured her, and they want to get, cause a war and do all these different things. And her true love, the man in black, Wearing a mask comes and rescues her, saves her. They go through the fire swamp, come out the other side. There's all kinds of good stories in all of this. They come out the other side, and she's taken again, and he's taken to the pit of despair, or should I call it the pit of despair, right? Yeah, and, and um, he's tortured, and uh, Count Rogan comes and says not to 50, right? And all the way to 50, and he dies. The hero of the movie dies, and now Inigo has all this passion. He wants justice. He wants to find the six-fingered man who killed his father unjustly. And so the Spaniard's like, I've got, I've got all this passion to get rid of this guy and to see justice. And it's not okay, but he realizes, I don't have a plan. He's like, the guy, Vincini, the, the Sicilian, right? He never go against the Sicilian when death is on the line. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Right? Everyone, you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And he's dead. So... So Physic and Vincini are having this conversation, not Vincini, Physic and Inigo are having this conversation. And Inigo says, ah, I'm not, I, I am, I'm no man for strategy, but we need the man in black. 
And so they decide, we've got to get a miracle. We've got to go find this man in black. He's dead. We can just go get a miracle max and get a miracle. So now you've been caught up to where we're at a little bit, and we're going to watch a little, a little over a minute video clip for segue to where we're going this morning. So enjoy the Princess Bride. How long do we have to wait before if we know the miracle works? I guess it's as good as mine. I'll beat you into pot. I'll take you both together. I guess not very long. Why won't my arms move? You've been mostly dead all day. We had Miracle Max make a pill to bring you back. Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Where's Buttercup? Let me explain. That's not there is too much. Let me sum up. Buttercup is Mary Humper a little less than half an hour. So all we have to do is get in, break up the wedding, steal the princess, make our escape. After I kill Count Ruger. It doesn't need much time for Dilly Danny. You just wiggle mm -hmm. your finger. That's wonderful. I've always been a quick eater. What are our liabilities? There is but one work in Castlegate. Come on. And by 60 men. And our assets? Your brains. Fez's strength. I steal. That's it? Impossible. If I had a month to plan, maybe I could come up with something like this. You just shook your head. That doesn't make you happy. <laughs> My brains. His steel and your strength against 60 men, and you think a little head jiggle is supposed to make me happy? Hmm? <laughs> All right, I love it. So there's a lot of banter going on there. I love, if you didn't catch it, he's been dead all day for many days, so he's coming mostly dead. Mostly, there's between mostly dead and all dead. There's only one thing you can do with all dead. Well, I'll stop. I can keep going. Um, so I love this. The reason I'm sharing that is just because I love Princess Bride, and so you just got to watch Princess Bride. Maybe that's the only reason I shared it. But I'm like squeezing an analogy into what we're doing. But the idea is that there's passion. If you didn't see that, there's passion. Wesley has this passion for his, for his bride, right, for his true love, right? True love. Death cannot, he's, all these great quotes, death cannot separate true love. It can only delay it for a while, right? All these great quotes. He's passionate about his, his buttercup, right? And, and Inigo is passionate about finding Count Rogan and getting justice, but they need a plan. And he's like, it's impossible. Like, you want me to figure out in the next half hour a plan all I have is your skill, his strength, and my brains. Like, we're never going to get there, right? If you watch the rest of the movie, they get there. Um, and I love this idea because that's what I feel like God wants to talk this morning about. When we're transitioning, looking at David, he was a man of passion. He had so much passion. He was a man after God's own hearts, right? We read the stories about David, um, right? He had passion as a young kid, watching sheep. Most people thought that was like the lowliest of jobs, boring. But he found passion in it. He killed a lion. He killed bears. He was passionately defending those sheep. Um, took on Goliath shortly after that, right? He played music that was passionate. He, uh, when he brought the, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, right? He passionately danced. He took off all his clothes and his undergarments. He's passionately dancing, uh, much to the, his wife, Michael, who's like embarrassed of all of his passion. So he's this passionate man. And this kind of gets us to where the plan unfolds. The plan actually unfolds from his passion. So let's read. I'm not going to read the whole story, but let's look at 2 Samuel. I think I have a passage from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. Um, thank you, Juan, for bringing that up. But it says this, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. The king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. We'll stop there. 
So David is enjoying, he's been king for a while. A lot of his enemies are subdued. He's enjoying peace in the land. Everything's going for David. He's actually already brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. It's there. He's created the, the, uh, David's tent, right? 24-7 praise is going on. But he sees that it's still in a tent. It's still fabric. It's still like the lowliest of shelters. And he's living in this great palace with cedar and all these gold trappings and all this stuff. And he's like, this isn't right. And if you read the story further, Nathan has to come back and say, actually, David, it's great what you have in your heart, but you don't get to build it because you have so much bloodshed on your hands. And actually, God says he never asked for this. This is something that you decided on your own you wanted to do. God never said he wanted a, a temple. This was David's idea. It was birthed. A plan was birthed out of his passion. He was passionately in love with God, passionate for his presence, passionate for other people to come and see. You'll see later. He wanted not just for the people of Israel to know that there is a God in heaven and for them to be able to worship him. He's saying, I want every country, every nation on the planet to know there's a God in heaven and to know how to worship him. Let's create this incredible temple that will be world-renowned, that everyone can come and worship God. This passion in him for, the God, for God's presence and for other people to know it birthed a plan. It birthed a plan. Uh, David, he prays a lot for wisdom, but you see that he actually wants his son Solomon to have wisdom. If you read the book of Proverbs, which his son Solomon wrote most of Proverbs, you see that David was the one saying, Solomon, you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need so much more wisdom than I have. Keep asking for wisdom. Keep asking for wisdom. And I've shared this testimony before that um, when I grew up here at Osborne in the youth group uh, in high school, that became one of my prayers, one of my first um, life verses for a season was Proverbs 4, 7. Gaining wisdom is the most important thing you can do. And I just was on this quest for wisdom. I just wanted to be wise. I didn't want to go through life with just gaining knowledge and information because I read in Scripture that knowledge puffs up. And I didn't want to be arrogant. And I knew even at a young age, I knew there's a difference between information and knowledge and wisdom. And I'm saying, I know that wisdom comes with old age, but I'm like, God, I don't want to wait until I'm old, until I have to experience and make bad decisions and get wisdom through my bad experiences. God, I, I just want you to give me wisdom now at a young age. Like, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till I'm older. And I just, I kept praying for wisdom. And I, it was something I kept going after. And so I'm in college and I'm in Bible college. I'm getting a lot of information. And, and something shifted with me. I can remember, I can remember the moment. And it, was, it wasn't just a one moment thing. But I can remember the moment. I can remember the season I was in for a while where my heart changed. I was like, God, I don't want to give up on wisdom, but wisdom is taking second place. I want to be like David. I want to have a heart like yours. Because I recognized in college, I was getting more information, more knowledge, and I was getting all this understanding of God's word, which is great, but I felt my love and passion growing colder and colder and colder. And I was like, I can't do that, God. Whatever it takes, I need passion. I need passion for you, God. I need to have a heartfelt devotion towards you. I can't do it out of obligation. I can't follow you because I know it's the right thing to do. I've got to have this deep desire that it's just what I want more than anything is just to please you. It's just to be with you. It's just to do things for you and with you. And so God, I'm saying God has been on it ever since in college till now. I've been in a journey. God, I want both. I want wisdom and I want passion, but I keep saying I want my wisdom to be birthed out of passion for you. I don't want to have so much wisdom that I'm trying to conjure up passion because I need, I know it's the right thing to do is to have a love for God. So I have all this wisdom and I'm going to tell myself to be passionate. It's like, no, God, I want to be so passionately in love with you that somehow you inspire 
wise plans out of that passion. It's so different than the tabernacle, right? Moses is up in the presence of God, and God is giving all these specific instructions, all the details. This is how it has to be. And it was God's idea to create a tabernacle. It's always been God's idea for him to dwell with man. From Adam and Eve, right, he created all of creation so that he could bring his presence here on earth, that he could live with mankind. You read Jesus, right, the beginning of the New Testament. Jesus is coming, right? He the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You read Revelation. It's saying that one day there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. And it says that, oh, finally, God gets to fully, with no limitations, dwell with man again. It's always been God's desire to live with us, to be with us, right? He's passionate to spend time with us, just to be with us. And so you see that God is doing that in the plans, the divine design for a tabernacle. He's like, I want my presence to be my glory and all of who I am to be on earth and for humans to actually be able to interact with it. And David's saying, all right, it's here, but it's not enough, God. I want more. I want more. Like, you're in a tent, that's great, but I want you to fill a permanent place. I don't want you to just be roaming and just, it looks like you're, we're a nomad people. Like, no, you've established this is your holy hill. This is where you dwell. Let's create a permanent structure. Let's make all the nations of the earth, that you become the desire of all nations. And they come here to worship you and see there really is a God. And so David is saying this. He's saying, all right, it's, it's birthed out of this passion, his own idea. Nathan has to come back, say, all right, we can't do it exactly like you're, you're thinking. You can't be the one to build it. Your son has to build it. So same story that's in 2 Samuel. We find back in First and Second Chronicles, we see a lot of stuff. They're just chronicles. It's chronicling what happened to the kings. So in 2 Samuel, you're getting specifically David. Then you get in 1 and 2 Kings. You're getting all the different kings of Judah and Israel. And the chronicles is kind of repeating some of that stuff. So 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5. This is now David talking to his son Solomon. It says this. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. You can read if you want. I've already done the homework for you, so I'm just telling you. I've read all the story in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. I read it all different translations. Let me tell you that David made these preparations for this temple. They were lavish. In some of the accounts, it says that he had, I forget the amount of gold. It was a lot of gold, and the silver was over one million pieces. And you can read scholars, and they, they kind of debate, is that like a real, legit, like literal number of how many things? Like, we don't think there was actually that many pieces of silver that actually existed on the planet back then. They didn't, hadn't harvested it, and there wasn't enough humans to find it and discover it, and, and you know, whatever they do to uh, silversmiths to make it. They're like, is there, was there really a million pieces back then? I don't know. I'm not going to get in that debate. I'm just going to say that David was lavish. Out of his passion, he's like, you know what? I'm going to find every piece of silver there is on the planet, and I'm going to put it all into God's temple, right? He began making preparations. He saw that his young Solomon was just a young boy. He's like, I'm not going to just tell him this is what you need to do. I'm going to make all the preparations so that when David becomes the king, he has everything he needs. In fact, let me find it. Somewhere in my notes, I wrote this, and I underlined it, so I should be able to find it. Where is it? Give me a second. All right. Passion for the plan. Oh, I was going to end on this. Maybe I end on it again. 
As I'm reading through this story and I'm seeing David's passion for God's presence, his passion for the tabernacle, the tabernacle become the temple. It made me think, as I was kind of reading through the story, it made me think of the difference between the law, Moses getting the law and the commandments, and David becoming a friend of God and coming up with his own ideas and his own plans. It says that multiple times, God actually shows up and tells Nathan, and then Nathan tells David, and God is saying this, it's recorded, David, I never asked for this. This was not my plan. I never asked for a temple. It was never recorded in history. I didn't tell you in the secret place I wanted this. But David, because you want to do this, let's do it your way. Let's create a temple. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, right, about what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Because a master doesn't tell his servants all of his secrets and all of his plans. But a father and a good friend shares all of his secrets. And I love that even in this story, it's not David just getting the revelation of God's secrets. It's actually God partnering with David. said, all right, you've got a secret. You've got a plan. And you want to do something? I'll co-labor with you. I've always read it. I want to co-labor with Christ. Whatever God wants. I mean, I'm just being real with you. This is a lot of my prayer time. God, just tell me what to do. And I'll do whatever you want to do, right? Like, I will joyfully do whatever you tell me to do. I've given you the history before. God has told me, told me to become the youth pastor this, in this church. And I was like, I was a reluctant. I was obedient, but I was obedient reluctantly. It wasn't what I wanted, but I knew it was what God wanted. So I obeyed. I mean, I, I had enough wisdom to know you don't disobey God. But my heart wasn't knit together with his plan yet. And I was a reluctant uh, servant, right? But David isn't this reluctant servant. He's someone who's creating plans. And God is saying, oh, I like that plan. And I was thinking about this, right? I, I appreciate, I, I use, because I'm a dad and I got four kids, I use them all the time, right? I appreciate when I tell my kids one time to do something and they go do it. Oh, blesses my heart. Teenage, I got a whole bunch of teenagers in my house. If I just say it one time, hey, can you please go take out the trash? And they stop what they're doing and they take out the trash that moment. It's like, like the heavens open up and ah, this child actually obeyed the first time I asked, right? But it's something different. I'm trying to think of an example. It's an ongoing example. It's something different when my oldest son comes home one day and says, hey, dad, I'd, love to, I'd like to upgrade our backyard. I want to put the time and resources and all the sweat equity, and I want to dig, and I want to make the hill. I, want to get, I, want to, I, I have this idea of putting a walkway and, a, and this. I, can I make steps? Can I do this? Do you see the difference between having an obedient son who does what I want him the very first time I ask him? Oh, it blesses my heart. To having a son who creates up his own idea and is now asking for resources to do something that he wants to do. He's no longer a reluctant subordinate, right? Right, let me read it this way. Instead of trying to convince and coax a reluctant subordinate, I am now the rewarder of resources. This is the shift in David. This is the shift that God wants to do in our lives. He loves subordinates that obey his every command. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, 
you'll obey me, right? That is a true statement. But Jesus wasn't saying, I'm just looking for subordinates. I'm just looking for servants that will just do whatever I tell them to do. It's one of these things that it seems, in my logical mind, it seems blasphemous, but Jesus wants to share his glory. It's all his, I mean, think about it. Jesus' righteousness, it's everything he earned, everything he deserves, all the right standing with God, all the favor of his heavenly father. Jesus has never sinned. He does everything right. All the right standing with God, all the favor, all the inheritance that Jesus gets. He's like, you know what? It's my good pleasure to give you my kingdom. It brings him joy to share his inheritance with his brothers and sisters. There's something in the character and nature of God that he doesn't just want you to be obedient to him. He wants to be a rewarder of resources. Can I tell you kind of even the same thing? I gave the example of being a dad of my four kids, gave the example of God, even as a pastor, even as running a church. I love when I'm looking for someone to help with something. I don't know, Juan, I asked, hey, Juan, can you make salad for the lunch thing today? Juan's like, yeah, I'd love to. He always tells me, Pastor, you need anything? Just let me know. I love that. I love when there's someone that is willing to do and they'll, they'll say yes the first time, they'll get it done. I love that. But I love being a rewarder of resources, I think, even more. When someone says, hey, Pastor, I'd like, I'd like to upgrade our men's ministry. I'd like to do this. Can I do this? And they come up with a plan, and it's submitted to me, but they have an idea. It's like, oh, man, let me give you resources. Instead of me telling you, hey, I want you to run this ministry and I want you to do this and you doing it, it's you actually, you wanted to do something and you want to upgrade something? I'm like, man, what can I do to help you? What can I do to empower you to go do it? There's something different about it. Hmm. So I'm going to read that again. I think we read, what do we read? We read First Chronicles 22.5. So it says, it must, the house of the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious. What God is building in this church, we're going to get there eventually. We're talking about tabernacle, temple, then we're talking about the ecclesia, the church, how Christ is building the church, but this is kind of just touching it where we're headed. He is building a glorious and beautiful bride for his return. And David says, I want to make preparations for it. I feel like before Jesus returned, right, before Jesus came the first time, there was a prophet in the wilderness, right, saying, make straight the way of the Lord. He was making preparations for Jesus to come. I believe there is, can I say what word do I say there? A calling from God on Osmondura Church, but I'll say on the church, but I'm saying specifically this morning, on you and me. There's a calling to prepare for Jesus' return. He wants a beautiful and glorious bride without spot, without wrinkle. He wants it to be lavish, not just adequate. David wasn't looking for a temple that was just adequate. He was saying, I want to harness and get every resource I can. I want to prepare everything I can and spare no expense because I'm so passionately in love with God. This idea of preparing, I think, is huge. 
God wants to do a glorious thing here at Osmond Church. Are you in on the preparations? Are you preparing your heart, right? I, I love that Christmas song, prepare him room, right? Prepare him room. I want to keep doing it every day. I just want, God, I'm preparing myself more and more for you to come and fill every part of Ryan. I want the temple to be glorious. I want it to be magnificent. I want it to be something that people recognize, man, there's a God in heaven who exists inside that temple. So kind of more on this. First Chronicles 28, verse 11. I'm jumping around on you, Juan, back there. Definitely not staying in order. First Chronicles 28, 11 says this. Then David presented his son Solomon with the plans for the temple complex, the porch, storerooms, meeting rooms, and the place for atoning sacrifice. He turned over the plans for everything that God's spirit had brought to his mind, the design of the courtyards, the arrangement of rooms, and the closets for storing all the holy things. How far did I go? Did I do enough? Did I put it up there? No, no, no. I'll keep reading. He gave him his plan for organizing the Levites and the priests in their work of leading and ordering worship in the house of God. I'll stop there. But I love this because it talks about that word design is in there. We're talking about divine design. David had a divine design, but I love that it says in there, he turned over the plans for everything that God's spirit had brought to his mind. Let me remind you, when we read in 2 Samuel, whose original idea was it to build a temple? Was it David's or was it God's? David's. But David is telling Solomon right here, I'm giving you all the plans that what? That God's spirit has brought to mind. So who really came up with the divine design for the temple? David or God? Yes. (laughs) Yes. This is the beautiful thing about God I keep saying. There are things that are in your heart that God wants to say yes and amen to. I know, again, that sounds blasphemous because I know all the promises of God are yes and amen. And he's waiting for us to say yes and amen to that. I don't know if I can explain this well. I just saw um, Chuck and Charla yesterday. If you don't know who they are, they're legends in this church. They, they, went, they started an orphanage down in Mexico, and it became a whole mission. And it's this huge thing. It's one of our missionaries that we support. But Chuck and Charlotte, Charla got this vision, I do believe, from God. But if you read her book and you talk to her, you'll find out. I mean, just spend time with Charla. If you spent time with Charla in the past, you'll know. What, what was one of her? Man, I'll probably butcher it. One of her famous sayings. Oh, dang it. If you don't have a plan for your life, what does she say? I've got one for you, right? Something like that. She's like, she just had all these ideas. She was a creative thinker. She had a big mind. She just kept saying, no, let's go bigger. No, let's think outside the box. Let's keep doing more. Let's add to the, it started off as an orphanage. Well, now let's, let's get a fire department. There's no fire department in the area. Let's, let's have our own fire department. Let's, she just kept adding. And I'm thinking it's both. I, you, it's so intertwined that I don't know if I could go in there and ask her, well, did God give you that design or was that your design? And I think her answer would be yes. 
I'm just sharing with you, I don't know that I've reached that status of Sharla or David, but I'm saying there's something in my heart, I wanna do it. I wanna step into that. I don't wanna just be a servant that is just asking for God to tell me what to do and I just do it. I'm saying, God, would you teach me and show me how to be someone who actually comes up with ideas? And I allow you to become a rewarder of resources. And I'm not just this reluctant subordinate. I'm tired of being a reluctant subordinate. I'm tired of when God suggests something, I'm like, ooh, that's a lot of sacrifice. I don't want that attitude. I don't want that anywhere in my heart. I want it to be completely flipped. Or it's like, God, I, I would love to go do this. I would love to do this for you, right? Not, I would love to have a Ferrari so I can have a nice sports car. Like, not that. I'm saying, God, I would love, I would love to see your kingdom expanded in this way. I would love to see heaven come on earth and for it to look like this in this way. God, I, I would love for this to happen. And God to say, oh, there's someone that's actually being creative and actually trying to do something. I, can I tell you really quick, I, I don't know if I have time to unpack all this, and I'm probably not supposed to right now in this moment. But when I was looking at what our vision is for this year, I wrote down several ideas. And one of them that's still in my head, still in my heart, in my spirit, is this idea of a culture cultural architect. God is looking for people who don't just bring a influence, a small influence that were salt and light in the earth. I get that. That's all biblical. But God is actually looking for people who are actually architects. They're actually saying, how can we shift culture? How can we shift how everyone's thinking this way? How do I get them? I mean, kind of like, I'm just using an example that's obvious, like Elon Musk, right? He's this guy who says, man, there's traffic everywhere in LA. Let's like build some tunnels and let's like create something where everyone can go faster underground, right? There's this huge galaxy. Let's figure out how to get to Mars. Everyone says it should be happening. I'm gonna figure out a way to do it. Like he's just thinking bigger. He's thinking on a different level than, than most other humans. And I'm saying that's how the church should be. The church should look at culture and say, oh, I can't wait till we get out of here and we get to heaven one day. That's not what our mindset should be. Our mindset should be, man, how do we like intellectually think about and talk about and creatively figure out a way to shift culture, to change the way people think and say, there's actually a better way to live. And let me show you a more excellent way. Hmm. All right. Put up. The very first verse, our verse for the year, Ephesians 4.16. This is part of God's divine design. And he's looking for culture architects. He's looking for David to say, how do we do that? Not just God, tell me exactly what to do. And I'll just do what you tell me to do. But in the context of this is the verse for the year, to let this kind of marinate in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, and it becomes like, okay, this is something God wants. How can it look? How can, I, how can I make this happen? How can I creatively figure out something like David came up with the idea of a temple? Wasn't God's idea? How can I make this happen with my resources? Or actually beyond my resources, I'm gonna need God to supply some resources because this is such a big, lavish way of doing things, right? So let's read it again. For his body, Jesus, his body, the church, has been formed in his image, in his design, and is closely joined together 
and constantly connected as one. Keep going. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. God has always wanted a place to be here on earth, right? A tabernacle, a temple, a church. He's looking for a group of people where he can be with. And he's saying he wants to make it perfect where it's in love, right? We're made perfect in love. And he's given divine gifts to each one of us. And I believe there is something within God's heart. He's saying, all right, you've been given a gift. You've been given an opportunity. You've been given a verse for the year. What are you going to do? Rather than me lay out all the details like I did for Moses, I gave him every single detail. I'm not going to give you every single detail. What's in your heart? How can your heart be intertwined with my heart? And how can you come up with a plan? How can you creatively partner with me? And watch how I come and partner with you and how they intertwine together. That it's not clearly discerned. Was that God's idea or was that my idea? I don't know, yes. Can I share that just really quick? Like even, even in small ways where I've operated in the prophetic, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but there's times where the Holy Spirit has dropped things into my mind or into my spirit and I say something to somebody. I think it was even last Sunday. A thought just came and I was like, is that, is that Ryan's thought? I don't, I wasn't feeling like it was God's really. I was like, I'll just say it. As I said it, the person's like, oh yeah. I was like, okay, that was Holy Spirit. But I love how he speaks in my language. He uses movie quotes, right? He uses different things to speak to me because that's who I am. He's gonna speak to you maybe in different ways than he speaks to Ryan. So what I'd like to do, we got 10, 15 minutes left. I'd like to try something, to take a risk. Not for me. I'm, I take risks all the time. For you to take a risk. I think this service is supposed to end a little different. I, I don't know if you sensed it. Worship was a little different this morning. God's presence comes, I believe, when we are exalting him when he inhabits the praises of his people. But in this story we just read, God's direction came as David came up with a plan. And then David, there's tons more verses, I promise I could have read a whole bunch more, but God and David together, it got intertwined. I think the Lord wants to do that this morning. If it's in your heart to be joined to people in this room, you might be new and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. That's okay. There's enough people in this room that they're going to try to join with you. They're just going to try to love on you. What am I saying? I didn't even know. I can't even give you clear plans right now. But I know I have a passion to see us join together. I have a passion for this scripture to be made, made manifest. That we would become one. That we'd be constantly connected. What does that look like? I don't have all the ideas. But I love that every member has been given a gift. And as they all effectively, right, as they all use their gifts effectively throughout the whole body, that's when we're all built up. So it's not just Pastor Ryan coming up with all the ideas. And I get this. I understand there's a whole bunch to this sermon. I'm not giving everything. I get everything needs to be submitted, right? We come up with ideas. Doesn't mean you get to go do whatever you want. I get God, there's cohesive. There's a unity. There's a things. I don't, I don't have to talk about that right now. But I think in this moment, what I'd like is 
don't want to take up too much time. That's my problem because I want to give time for this. Okay, because I feel like I have to give an example. Um, Noelle, I'm calling you out. She's my favorite daughter. I could say nice things about her up front. I could just say all kinds of good things about her. But there's something different. Like, I have a love for all of you. Like, I could just say, oh, I love my church body. Like, I, I brag about you guys to other pastors. That's good. But there's something different than when I just say, oh, I love my, Noelle's my favorite daughter. And I could tell you good things about her publicly up front. But there's something different. Sorry, Noelle, get over here. There's something different than me just talking about her to the rest of all y'all, than for me to say, Noelle, I am so proud of you. You bring me so much pleasure and joy, not just because you get good grades, not just because you help clean the house, probably better than all your brothers, um, not because of all the things you do and perform, but your character. I see Jesus in you. I see you at school, be nice to people that other people don't give them the time of day. And you choose to befriend people that are difficult. I choose you, I see you as a freshman in a cheerleading squad with a whole bunch of seniors. Choose to be righteous and holy and pure, not be conformed to the patterns of this world, that you are chaste. That's a big word. You're you're holy. And there's a beauty about you that's in the inside. Yes, you're beautiful. You do your hair good. You learn how to do makeup. But what you make dad so proud is the character of Jesus that I see coming out of you more and more as you grow in him. And I'm so proud to be your dad, and I love you. So I'm not looking for this big emotional thing, but can I tell you that when I have passion for someone, how can I not have some emotions come out? Don't be fake, don't be, I don't know, but I'm just trying to give an opportunity. Instead of just saying like surface level things to people, can we ask Holy Spirit, there's someone in this room, maybe Noel didn't need that at all, but I'm just saying someone in this room needs some encouragement. Someone in this room needs to know that they matter. They need to feel connected. 